It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Well, the headlines in the morning papers are all about the Vax mandate repeal that will allow the Mets and Yankees to have all their players play in home games this year. And I'm recording this before I've seen the actual tabloid headlines, but I'm sorry, nothing will ever beat when Amazon's Jeff Bezos revealed that David Pecker was trying to blackmail him, so we all woke up to, in 40-point font, Bezos exposes Pecker. Trust me, when you spend time away from New York, you miss those headlines from the news and the post. But another headline for you, not nearly as salacious, the Mets for now are as healthy and deep as they've been in a really long time. And they'll need those things because the rest of the division is very much the same. In football, the AFC West is becoming the monster division. Does that same monster now roam the NL East? Headline, Monsters Roam Five East Coast Cities. Headless body found in topless bar. Anyway, here comes the song. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. Oh, yeah. Mets in the morning. Gonna tell you what the Mets are doing while coffee is brewing. Now, here's Josh Lewin. So last year, you might recall the Mets gave 600 plate appearances, a little more than that. To Billy McKinney, Jose Peraza, Kevin Pillar, those guys would not make the roster here in 22. You got Dom Smith and J.D. Davis, overqualified bench help, basically. It should be noted that the Canas and Martes and Escobars improve what was one of the game's worst defenses from a year ago. Their bats, obviously, important to the recipe. All of that, and the Mets added Max Scherzer. So, it's a good day to thank ownership, the front office, and the good Lord above. Josh Lewin with you, doing all of that from a hotel room in Philly. UCLA is here to play in the Sweet 16, so I have left spring training and had to follow what happened last night on the interwebs. Mentioned Mark Canna, his bat came alive. He and Francisco Lindor went back-to-back with homers in the same inning. Mets ran out to a 7-1 lead. They coasted to a win at Clover Park. Carlos Carrasco and Chris Bassett each pitched in a minor league game earlier in the day since there was a threat of bad weather at night. I've always loved that dynamic, by the way. Veteran pitchers, you guys get sunshine. Sean Reed Foley, Jason Shreve, you guys get out there and possibly get hit by lightning. That's baseball, Susan. I used to deal with that, too, at Fox back in my TV days. Joe Buck, here's your limo. Lewin, the seven train departs Grand Central at 1014. At, at any rate... Carrasco did get hit around a little bit. Three and a third innings, six hits, five runs, but at least no walks. Bassett was better. Four innings of one hit, no run, no walk ball with five strikeouts. I like that better. So, yeah, there was some baseball in Port St. Lucie yesterday, but we are going off the field for this podcast. We're going behind the scenes to chat with one of the most fascinating front office guys, not only in Flushing, but maybe in all of baseball. Late last year, the Mets hired a guy named Ben Zosmer to be an analytics expert, and he's now one of the assistant GMs, part of a, a supernova of brain power under Billy Epler. But Ben Zosmer is the only guy on that list who doubles as an Oscar Awards expert. 
If you're into the Nate Silvers of the world, picking winners in political races, if you like how Joe Lunardi is the expert college basketball bracketologist, Ben Zosmer literally wrote the book, or at least a book, on how to pick which Oscars go to which people in which categories. It's called Oscar Metrics, the math behind the biggest night in Hollywood. And with this year's Oscars scheduled for this weekend, I figured we needed to get Z on the show immediately, 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 harumph. Zosmer, most recently with the Dodgers, has a 2020 World Series ring to prove it. And for now, he's still mostly working remotely from L.A., plans to relocate to New York around the 4th of July. Interestingly, there was a movie industry connection to get him going in his baseball career. He was in L.A. for an internship with Fandango before his senior year at Harvard. That was about eight years ago. And the Dodgers just kind of called to follow up on an application he'd submitted for an internship many months earlier. He'd gotten lost in the shuffle or something. So Zosmer said, well, I've only got four weeks now between the end of my Fandango internship and the start of fall semester at Harvard. Dodgers said, come on in anyway. Yada, yada, yada. Guy's now a Harvard grad and a baseball executive and the world's foremost expert on forecasting Oscars. So without any further delay, 11 good minutes and one mediocre one with Mets assistant GM and renaissance man Ben Zosmer. But what is it in you that is so diversified that you have so many different talents and interests? <laughs> well, first of all, thanks for having me on. It's fun sure. to chat, and uh, I appreciate that. I, For me, the Oscars side and the baseball side, in some sense, come from the same place. Both of them are trying to take data and math surrounding some form of entertainment that I've always loved baseball, movies, the Oscars, and trying to use that to predict the future. In baseball, we're trying to guess which players are going to be good, which teams are going to be good, how can we improve our own players. Uh, With the Oscars, I'm simply trying to guess how a group of voters are going to behave, who's going to win, who's going to be best picture, best director, and so on. And so both of them are trying to take the background I have, which is more mathematical, and apply it to some of these interests that I have. I I love it. So uh, I know past performance doesn't guarantee anything. They say that in all the ads for, you know, medicine and everything else. But when you go back and trace your interest, baseball-wise, did Moneyball have a big to-do to to get you to where you are? Oh, it was huge. I mean, there is such a cliche almost in baseball to say that Moneyball is what inspired me down this career path. But the fact is, sometimes cliches are true. And for me, it really is. Um, Uh, I read Moneyball in fifth grade, and immediately it was so obvious. This is a combination of two of my passions in life. It's math, it's baseball. This seems like an incredible job, and I'm just so fortunate that I actually got to live that out many years later. So once you got into baseball, how realistic did you find the portrayal was, for example, of the Paul D. Podesta character, which Jonah Hill portrayed and had to be renamed because Depot didn't want his name on it. But uh, is that accurate? I mean, is that kind of how it works or not really? In some sense, yes. I think as far as Hollywood portrayals go, and of course they're always going to dramatize things, they actually do a very good job in that book, in that movie mm-hmm. of showing exactly what we do for a living, which is we try to take all of the data we have and we try our best to predict the future, and especially we're trying to do it better than the other 29 teams to the extent we can. Now, there are some things about that movie that are dated at this point. For instance, it shows a real animosity between the scouting side and the analytics very side. Much, yeah. That may have been true in 2002. I wouldn't know. I wasn't in the game at that time. <laughs> right. It's really not how it is these days. So there are some things that I'm sure they dramatize to make a better, I wouldn't go as far as good versus evil, but a better, uh, you know, good side, bad side kind of dynamic in the film that doesn't exactly hold true. 
A, a movie that came out well before your time, and I believe won zero Oscars, is Revenge of the Nerds. Uh, and it, in a weird way, is there something inside you that's kind of like, you know what, I was never going to play in the big leagues, but damn it, like I have a talent for this, and I'm helping a major league team win. Oh, that was never a consideration for me, playing in the big leagues. I knew that from T-ball at a young age. I loved playing Little League, but it was certainly not my career path down yeah. the line. I don't think that was necessarily what inspired it. It wasn't out of any kind of frustration in my athletic abilities, but it was absolutely out of a love of the game. Mm -hmm. I used to stay up late every night as a little kid watching games uh, onto the East Coast time, onto the West Coast time, uh, growing up on the East Coast, and uh, always from the moment I realized there could be a place in the game for someone like me who couldn't hit well or throw well or run well or anything like that, uh, but it was just a, a typical Little League player to actually be able to go in on the front office side. Yeah. It's not something you realize as a very young kid. Once Moneyball comes out, it dawns on you, oh, wait a second, there can also be a place in the game for somebody like that. Right. So, as director of analytics, uh, I mean, it sounds kind of obvious. You're crunching a bunch of numbers and telling people what you come up with, but I'm assuming it's more than just that. It's funny. The job of the analyst is much more in that sense. The director of analytics, which was my first role with the Mets, uh, became a lot less of crunching the numbers myself because at that point we were really focused on growing out the department. Uh, the department, when I arrived, was uh, six people, and modern baseball teams tend to have a lot more than that in the analytics group across systems, software engineering, data engineering, data scientists, strategists, and so forth. And so the first step was just a whole lot of hiring. And I'm very proud of the group we got. We've got a really wonderful group of people combining some of the people that had already been there in the past with some great new people to really round out the department. Uh, and then from there, it's a lot of the managerial side. It's assigning tasks and working with people on code reviews and helping them with their projects and brainstorming sessions uh, and all of that. So it was with the Dodgers, my former team, where I was able to do a lot of the coding and statistics work myself. And then here with the Mets, I've been much more focused on the managerial oversight, that part of it. So with the Dodgers, I'm dying to get to the Oscar talk. I really am. <laughs> but I do want to talk baseball. And the Dodgers obviously had been close, so tantalizingly close for forever. Do you feel a pride? You must. I mean, there were very little moves, very small ruffles of feathers that I think affected where the Dodgers got to. And uh, to finally get over that hump and, and bring a parade to, to L.A., uh, you, you must just be busting about that. Oh, it was incredible. I mean, this is what we all go into work for, why we work the long hours, the nights, the weekends. It's all with one singular goal. It's winning a World Series. And especially to be with the same group of people. You know, you get very close with the people you work with in sure. the front office. And to be with them from... Uh, an internship in 2014 all the way on and then it finally culminates for us in winning that 2020 World Series which I didn't know at the time would be my final game uh, as a member of the Los Angeles right. Dodgers. What a way to go uh, out. And uh, my, my timing couldn't have been more fortunate. Uh, and so it was just uh, an incredible finish to a really delightful run there. How receptive were the Dodgers on-field folk? And so far with the Mets, how receptive are they to what it is you do? Because like you mentioned kind of in Moneyball, you get this weird portrayal of Art House and they're all grumpy, doesn't want to hear anything about all this stuff. And we now know it wasn't quite like that. But is there good reception that you get from, from the guys that are actually in uniform? Yeah, there really is. I, I think to a person, as I go through in my mind, everyone from the pro scouting, amateur scouting, or national scouting, major league coaches, player development, uh, it, it's a really receptive group because at this point people understand on the one hand, analytics is not the end-all be-all. It's not the entire game. And on the other hand, it does have something to contribute. It is 
part of what can help a baseball team make smart decisions and win more games. And that's all anybody wants to do. We're trying to win more games. And so I think everyone has a mindset at this point that anything that has a chance of helping us, we should be open to. So it sounds like you're very at peace with the fact that you're not trying to reinvent wheels. You're not trying to give them uh, a 90% advantage. You want to give them a small percentage, be a little bit better than the other analytics team down the road, it sounds like. Yeah, I have too much respect for all the smart people at the other 29 clubs to believe we could have anything approaching a 90% advantage. I do believe that if we hire really terrific people and we have all of Steve Cohen's resources that he's generously put into the analytics department, I do believe that with the combination of those things, we have the ability to be the best analytics group in baseball, but I would never be so bold as to say it could be double as good as anyone else. There's a lot of other great teams out there. So as much as I want to ask you about your baseball heroes, were your heroes in terms of this kind of work, the, the Tom Tangos and the Bill Jameses and the Nate Silvers and guys like that? Oh, absolutely. And I you know, read all those guys growing up and then even into my baseball career, I'm still constantly reading all of that. You know, a lot of people assume that everything the teams do, it's so secretive and insular. And in many ways it is because we can't let our opposing teams know what we're doing. But that doesn't mean that we've shut ourselves off from the rest of the world. We're mm. constantly reading, you know, Fangraphs articles and 538 articles and things like that and sharing them around the office because we're not the only ones that have good ideas about analytics. And so we want to be learning more from people from all sorts of backgrounds. All right, so the fan of me wants to ask, and I don't even know if you can reveal it, have you even, is there a model that predicts how well the Mets are going to do this year? So there's all sorts of answers to that question. And if you look publicly, even online, everyone's got their own model to that. 538 and Fangraphs Baseball Prospectus has one. Uh, And... All of them, you know, they vary and and typically have us and the Braves right around a a similar number. And so uh, I do think it's going to be a competitive division. I feel very optimistic. I think we've got a really good team this year, and uh, I'm excited for it to get started. All right, now let's talk Oscars. I've been dying to get to this here. So uh, we're we're airing this interview just before the actual Oscar ceremonies. What is your level of confidence? I'm not going to ask you to to blurt out what you picked, but this year's model, you feeling pretty good about it? We shall see. Uh, Every year, I try to answer that very question for myself, and I'm not always right. There are times where I think, you know, this is a really tough year. There's a lot of really close categories, and it turns out a lot of the favorites win, and the model's doing really well. And there are other years where it feels like there's some really clear favorites, and then sometimes there are upsets to those favorites, and they don't win. And, you know, that's why what I produce, I don't produce picks the way that some Oscar predictors do. I produce probabilities. The likelihood that this is actually going to happen. Each nominee will win, exactly. And Sometimes things with high probability don't happen. That's what we call an upset, and right. usually they do, and we'll see how it goes this year. Is it kind of like on the ESPN crawl when they say, I'm just going to pick an example out of my butt, UCLA has a 70% chance of beating North Carolina? Exactly. It means if in some hypothetical universe we could replay that game 100 times, then in that scenario UCLA would win 70 out of 100 times. Now, it's a weird concept because, of course, in real life, we only play the Oscars once. We only play that basketball game once. But The concept behind the probability is still that if you could somehow do it over and over again with the same initial state, you would expect to see the favorite win most of the time and the upset win some of the time. Final one for you. More surprising that you are where you are in baseball this quickly or that the Hollywood reporter is hanging on your every word? (laughs) I I don't know if I go that far. They kind of are. To be be honest, I I feel so fortunate about both. I mean, I think uh, in either sense... I am so lucky. The baseball side, which is my uh, day job and often night job and weekday and weekend job, and it's such a passion for me and that I get to do this for 
a team that I'm really excited about. I love being here with the Mets. Uh, and, and yeah, that I now get to be in a position where uh, I get to work you know, directly with the decision makers at the Mets and have uh, some impact on what the club does, uh, but also that I get to still have on the side each February or sometimes March this really fun hobby with the Oscars prediction. Uh, uh, either one, I would feel very okay. fortunate. And so it's hard to say between the two. And I guess just before I go, because I think the only movie I've seen over the last 12 months is King Richard. Uh, okay. Are we feeling okay about that one? So King Richard, it's looking pretty likely it's going to be the favorite for Best Actor. Uh, Will Smith obviously giving a fantastic performance there. Now, for Best Picture, which it's also up for, that seems less likely. Power of the Dog, Coda uh, seem to be the top two. Maybe Belfast, West Side Story, Drive My Car. But uh, King Richard, at least in one category, can go in feeling reasonably confident. I have so many movies I got to go see. All right, Ben, thank you so much, buddy. Congratulations on everything. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, so there's our chat with the still-not-even-30 Renaissance man, Ben Zosmer. You'll hear from some of the other assistant GMs, by the way, between now and the start of the season. There's just so much brain power in Billy Epler's department, more than they have in the podcast department, I'll tell you what. We, uh, we will have a final volley of news and notes for you and yours in just a moment. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So the Mets did win their game, the spring training game against Miami, 9-2-3. Lindor, a couple of extra base hits, one that went over the wall. Dom Smith stays hot. He's now four for nine. Nine different Met pitchers went exactly one inning. Eight of them did well. Josh Walker gave up three hits and a couple of runs in his one inning. But everybody else pitched really well. Andrew Mitchell, a young lefty, not even in minor league camp, a dazzling curveball in that ninth inning. He got one of the ten Mets strikeouts in that win. So today, Friday, the Mets will play the Astros and have Tyler McGill on the mound. Saturday, David Peterson, and for the first time, a little Taiwan Walker. Then we get to Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Not only the Oscars, but holy crow. If you can somehow get to Clover Park, what you will see is not one ace, but two. The poor St. Louis Cardinals will be up against Scherzer and DeGrom. Yeah, both will pitch one right after the other. You talk about putting a hat on a hat. You talk about bringing sand to the beach, about drilling deep when you've already struck oil. That should be fun. And by then, it'll be a mere 11 days until the games start to count. The road opener, April 7th at the Nationals. The home opener, Friday, April 15th against Arizona, with the Tom Seaver statue ready to be unveiled. If you don't yet have tickets for regular season games, might I invite you to click on the Mets website, Mets.com. Follow the big banner that directs you to the 60% off ticket deal in honor of the team's 60th anniversary season. Uh, it's not an offer good for opening day, but good for a lot of other games, some of which DeGrom and Scherzer will certainly pitch. The music is up. They are playing me off, just like an actual Oscars broadcast. You guys see the last season of Curb Your Enthusiasm? Larry David is humming right now, trying to get Susie Essman to stop talking. So let's meet the Mets in the Morning House Band on keyboards, Lance Broadway. That's for the Tonys. Slapping to bass is Nino Espinoza. Horn section, Jose Offerman. And on the drums, Kelvin Torve. 
This is Josh Lewin. Happy weekend, happy Oscars, happy everything else. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.